0: You guys can be seated. Everybody good today? A few of us. All right, good, good. Everybody safe from Ian, right? Everybody nobody got blown away? Maybe got half an inch of rain, maybe, you know, all that fuss, you know? Um, nah, no, good. I'm glad you're here today. My name is Michael. If this is your first time here, uh, I'm, I'm pumped that you're here. Uh, I was just sitting there worshiping with you guys, and my, my heart is just, just overwhelmed this morning. Like, just how much. I, I love the church. I love the bride of Christ. I love what God wants to do through his bride. And Um, And there's something special that happens when you take away all the religion, all the bells and whistles and all the things, and you just worship Jesus for who he is, right? There's something that happens when you open the word of God and just do what the Bible says, right? You know, around here we have a saying, is like Christianity, following Christ is easy, you just read the Bible and do what it says, Right? But sometimes we get in the way, and so our heart today is that that's where uh, we're going to be. And so, if it's your first time here, um, welcome. You are the reason why we do. What we do is to is to see new people come into a relationship with Jesus, to see people connected to the body of Christ. And so, um, our mission here is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. And so, this morning, our prayer is that you're connected with Christ, not a church, right? And so, this morning, uh, we're going to be continuing in a series uh, called Kingdom Kingdom Culturists, week eight. We've been in Colossians, the book of Colossians, for. Eight weeks now. Um, it's only got four chapters, but we're gonna dissecting this thing, you know. Um, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Colossians 3, we're gonna be in probably one of the, the greatest uh set of verses you can be in for your first time at a church, right? Uh, we're gonna talk about the marriage relationship. Yeah. yeah, all right, good, 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 good. And so it's a great opportunity for uh for us all to grow, right? And so uh, kind of the premise of this series and the premise of what we're doing in this series is seeing God create a kingdom culture in this church, in his church, the big C church. Like what does it look like for you to worship a risen King? Right, that It means more than me just attending a church service or a connect group. It means more than me just you know, having conversations about Jesus. There's a spiritual reality to my relationship with Jesus. And so what this series is doing is it's going to challenge us to evaluate if you're living and if I'm living under the authority of a, cl- of a king that I claim to serve. Because if I say, hey, I follow Jesus, that means I'm in submission to a king, and that means I'm under his rulership in my life. Right? And so we're going to kind of dissect that. Kind of the theme verse for this whole series uh, was found in week one, Colossians 1.13. Paul said, he, which is Jesus, Jesus has rescued us from the domain of darkness. And what? He transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And so what you see in that verse, you see a transference happening, right? Uh, Not only am I, I was dead in my sin, but Christ has picked me up out of the world and put me into the king of the Son he loves. So there's a transference that happens in that way. But so many Christians in my life, I've seen, I've met, I've met many Christians and I've met people before Christ and after Christ and not a lot of things change. But I want to tell you this morning that if you come into a relationship with Jesus, the one who was who died, who lived a perfect life, died and went to the grave and came out after the third day, your life's going to change. You're going to be different. And so this morning, I pray that we would have a breath of fresh air into our spiritual lungs and we would begin to live out this Reality, the spiritual reality. Because in Christ, guys, we live under new laws and new realities, and that we we didn't live in before Christ. Because this transference that we're talking about was done on purpose. It had a purpose in your life. It wasn't it wasn't meaningless. And so, if you're in Christ, there's a culture that should divide, define your life. A culture that the way that we live, and so many Christians are satisfied with just attending. A church service once a week, thinking that that's what identifies them as a Christian. Let me tell you, as a Christian, your primary purpose, if you're a follower of Christ in this room, your primary purpose in life is to see God's glory fill the earth. Your primary purpose, but this is what I know, we'll never fill the earth with God's glory by coming to church on a Sunday morning. We feel the church, we feel the word with God's glory by coming in here, celebrating what God's done in the week, and then going back out these walls and, and sharing the love of Christ with everyone we see, and you know, making disciples of all nations. We can't just sit in our pretty little churches and our nice, clean connect groups. We're called to step into darkness and bring the light of Jesus into dark, a dark world. That's the heart of the church. In the Colossian church, we've noticed since chapter one, they were tempted to add things to the gospel the gnostics had come in they were trying to tempt them to add uh, these ceremonies and these holidays and these new moon festivals and um, you had to be circumcised or you had to add this thing to the gospel they were living this man-centered gospel focusing on getting more wisdom and knowledge and experience but paul was saying no the center of the gospel is not a more spiritual knowledge it's jesus Jesus is it. Jesus is the center. And Paul wrote this letter to reestablish Jesus as central to the church in Colossae. And so last week we saw Billy, he he showed us, Paul gave us some real real world application for the new identity that we have in Christ. Everything we do, everything we are, we're called to leverage it to exalt Christ. Everything. And so today we're going to look at us. We're going to see Paul go even deeper into the lives of these Christians, and he's going to point out three very specific relationships that God has given us and wants us to use in our lives to put the gospel on display for the people in our lives. And so that's our heart. So let's pray together, and then as we pray, uh, we'll begin in our Colossians 3.18. So God, we love you. We praise you. God, may you be glorified in every word spoken from this stage always. God, may you be glorified in everything that we do as a church. God, may you be honored, Father, Lord decrease every human being in this room and may, so that you may be increased. God, use us in ways we never thought imaginable. God, break the chains of sin in our life. God, if there's people in this room, God, that are stuck in sin, I pray that you would produce freedom in their life this morning in Jesus' name. God, if there's someone in this room that has been depending on religion to save them, the things, the works of their hands and their heart, God, that you would break them in that bondage to see that Jesus is the only way. God, we love you. We praise you, God. I pray for clarity of word and, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, this morning, I kind of want to start off with something um, really quick. I borrowed someone's glasses, uh, Mr. Tim Denton. He's great, great dude. And so, but he he wears glasses. I probably should wear glasses. I lost my glasses glasses in a in a gardening incident outside my house when I lived in Pooler. No idea where they went. I just never got any more. So I I want to look through Tim's world. When as I look through Tim's glasses. You guys look very different, right? I can't see Nick's face very clearly. I I see a a blob of flesh, right? And so my IQ points just went up 30 points by just putting those on, right? But what I want to show you is like a worldview, How you look at the world, how you see things, how you experience life, how you um, look at marriage, finances, money, church, what a worldview is. And so if you're a note taker, write this down, it'll be on the screen. A worldview is a particular philosophy of life or conception of the world. And so what you see about a worldview, I want to kind of dumb it down for some of those people like me that are less... Intelligent in the room. So, a worldview is like a pair of glasses that you see the world through, right? Worldview is like a pair of glasses that you see the world through. It's how it's how we see the world and everything in it. It's what's true. It's what's true. It's it affects everything about our lives. What we believe to be true, which if what I believe to be true affects what I value, and what I value determines how I behave, right? And so, as I look at that, when a person becomes a new creation in Christ, they've been, remember, they've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light of the sun that God loves, right? And so, when they've been transferred into this new kingdom, Christians should look at the world through brand new glasses, a new worldview, right? Can we agree with that this morning? No longer am I looking through the Western worldview because when I'm born again, my worldview shifts from a Western worldview of, of, of you know, the American dream. Of, if I work hard enough, I can get anything all right, to a thing where Jesus has filtered my glasses to see with eternity in view, right? That's how I'm looking at everything. So, but when it comes to passages like we're going to go through today, what happens in the church is we kind of slip back into that Western worldview. When we start talking about submission, we're like, oh, no, 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 right? Let's not talk about that. Let's don't don't get in that realm of things. That's too touchy. We we put these Western worldview glasses back on, and we interpret these scriptures through Western eyes instead of kingdom eyes, right? In our our culture, what happens is there there are these passages that you can turn to, I mean, they're all through scripture, that can cause a rift in the church. Look at all the denominations in the world, right? I sprinkle baptism. I dunk, right? I Baptized for salvation. I do communion here. I do all it's like all these things like denomination, 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 denomination. When Christ said we're all one in Christ, right? We're called to come together in Christ. And what I want to do today is I want to dive into a very controversial topic. Can we do that? I love hitting the things head on. Here we go. So let's read these things together. All right. I need a bulletproof podium today, but I don't have one, so we're just going to trust that your Christians is not going to kill me. Here we go. Verse 18. Chapter 3, verse 18. It says this. Says wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Verse twenty-two. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do. Do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and therefore is no there is no favoritism. Masters deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. And so what Paul is doing is he's showing us that we have something in our lives that if we steward these things well. They could be the greatest gospel, they can have the greatest gospel impact in our life. It's our relationships. It's our relationship. He goes, he highlights three relationships, our marriage, our family relationship, and then our work relationship. And so in each of these relationships, what we're going to see is Paul is going to point to a character trait that defined the life of Jesus. Submission. Submission in the American culture is a bad, dirty word, right? I Don't submit to nobody, right? You want want me to submit, you got to Got to come at me, right? Now, submission is an ugly word in the American culture. Remember, we're not looking through this Western worldview anymore. We're looking through kingdom eyes. Jesus is king, and I'm following him. So as you look at this, if you look uh, a a book back in the Ephesians 5, it's probably one of the best passages on this topic that Paul echoes this in Ephesians 5 in living out kingdom culture. Verse 15, if you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. You can write it down and look at it later, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. It says this, It says, pay pay very careful attention then how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time. I love that phrase. It says, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And so you see Paul in verse 21 uses submitting to one another in fear of Christ as an entryway into the relationships of husbands and wives, fathers, mothers, children, work. So he uses this as a doorway into this. And so kind of a very important light little Caveat I want to say here this morning is, is very important. is The fact that we submit to others in different relationships doesn't make us inferior to the person we're submitting to. Can we just let that be the baseline this morning? We're not saying I'm inferior to this person because I'm submitting to them. That's not what we're talking about this morning. Okay, In, Gal- in Galatians 3.28, we just talked about this. Paul says, there's no Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female since you are all one in Christ Jesus. So what is Paul saying? He's saying we are all equal in Christ, right? And so we're all equal, but that doesn't take away the various roles that we play as we represent Jesus on the earth, right? And so that's what I want us to get to this morning. So as you look at this scripture this morning, I want you to see that our primary role in life is to submit to and to align with what God says through his word. Not to lead a rebellion because we don't like the role we've been given, right? So many times we like to push back, because that's in our nature. But that's the idea that Paul has behind his teaching here. It's not, it has nothing to do with superiority or inferiority. It has to do with the roles that we play at various points in our lives as followers of Jesus that point people back to Jesus and to the gospel. That's kingdom culture, right? That's the heart of what we're looking at today. So kind of the moral of the story for all of us today, for you, for me, the moral of the story, can we just say that it's not about you and it's not about me? we get to that point? We we in agreeance? Okay, good. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and about him being glorified. So the first thing we look at, the first point, the first thing, if you're a note taker, which I hope you are, uh, is the first relationship that we're going to look at is marriage, the marriage relationship. So we can all agree that God has designed marriage to reflect Jesus's relationship with the church, right? So you can ask yourself, how is my marriage reflecting Jesus' relationship to the world with the church? Right? How, can I, how is that working? And so therefore, what I want you to see in that is your marriage, as your husband and wife, should reflect to the world the relationship between Jesus and his church. And so as you read that and think about that, your marriage is going to tell a story to all who are willing to watch your marriage is going to tell a story of all who to all who are willing to watch of the incredible goodness of God in the gospel and so if it doesn't it, it probably means that your marriage is still about you and not about Jesus and so our heart today is that we will see so let's break down this scripture verse by verse as we look through this and so the first verse it says wives submit yourselves to your husbands as it is fitting to the lord and as i'm looking with western glasses this feels oppressive right if I'm looking at this through kingdom glasses, a, clean, a kingdom worldview, this feels freeing. Ephesians 5, 24, the verse we just looked at, the passage um, that we just looked back, that we're going to flip back and forth to today. Um, this version of this verse says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And notice it says, as the church submits to Christ. That's a big deal. That's a, that's a big deal. And As I look at that, I'm like, man, that's, that's crazy. It says God uses the home. The marriage relationship, the, the parent-child relationship to, to paint a picture of the gospel through our life. So everything you do, there's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no sideline Christianity in the world. There's no sideline Christians in this room. We're called to, to immerse ourselves in the gospel. And I know for some people in this room, your head is about to explode, right? That's okay. I mean, and maybe this raises all kind of questions because maybe you've seen this verse distorted or abused. Right, maybe you've seen it used as a weapon before. Remember, listen, worldview. A worldview, has our worldview changed from a Western worldview to a kingdom worldview? And so, as I said earlier, we never want to shy away from the hard stuff. We want to hit it head on. So it says, it says in everything. In everything, submit to your husband as Christ submitted to, or to, as the church submits to Christ. And so you may you may ask, like, Well am I supposed to submit to my husband in this area or in this area? Well, if it fits in the everything category, then yes. Okay? So if if it fits in that category. So if this is hard for us this morning, that's okay. Right? That's supposed to be. And it's good. But hang on just a second because we'll get to the husbands in just a moment. So I want to start actually with the husband this morning because you're supposed to lead the way. Right? And I want to start with you this morning. So let's look at verse 19. It says, husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. If you flip back over to Ephesians 5, this 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 section of this verse, I love because it says this in verse 25 to 33 in chapter 5 of Ephesians, it says, Husbands, love your wives, what? What does it say? Just as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself for her. To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the word, washing of water by the word, He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church. Anytime you see just as circling, underline it, whatever you got, just just make sure you focus on those words. Since we are members of his body, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, for the two will become one flesh. This is mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So you see, he's not even talking about the marriage relationship. He's using it as a, as a picture of the gospel. And so what I'm saying this morning is like your marriage is a picture of the gospel to the world. There's some people in this room that should not be married because of what you've gone through, but God has delivered you through it to declare his glory to the world, right? Some of y'all are like, amen, right? No, don't say that. If you just wait till you get home, right? So some of you guys have seen God do miraculous things in your life, and it's not for you, it's for him. To declare his glories and his excellency. So let's start with the husband, okay? So the Christian husband submits. To his wife by loving her just as Christ loved the church. By a show of hands, men, who understands that this is a tall order? You're loving your wife just as Christ loved the church. It says in the same way, and that's hard. It's hard. And Paul always, when I when I look at scripture, when I see him talking to husbands and to wives, Paul always has way more to say to the husbands and to the wives, because he sets this extremely high standard that I think we miss sometimes in the church. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. For those of you that are around on Easter, you you hear about the crucifixion of Jesus, lay your life down for your wife every day. That's that's hard. I'm, I'm a pretty selfish guy. I don't know about you, 10 out of 10 people in this room are selfish, right? It's hard, it's hard. It's hard. And Paul always has this this concept of taking it another level. And so Paul was lifting marital love to the highest possible level because he saw in the Christian home an opportunity for an illustration to happen of the relationship between Christ and the church. He says, love your wife like Christ loved the church so that the world can see Christ through your marriage and your life and the church. Think about if you were living this way in your home and in the church. What message would that speak to the world? Incredible message of love. So God established, he established marriage for many reasons. It meets an emotional need in, in man and woman. In Genesis two eighteen, it says it's not good that man should be alone, right? How many wives know it's not good to leave your husband alone for very long, right? It gets, gets kind of rough, right? And so, the, you know, there's whatever. Whatever. Um, there's a, there's a physical purpose, right? There's a physical purpose to, to marriage, right? There's, there's physical things that, 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 are, that, are, that are reserved for the marriage relationships to help man and woman fulfill their normal desires given to them by God. That points to God. That points to Jesus in the church. Having that monogamous that, uh, relationship where you're loving your wife and your husband and only your wife and your husband. And there's also, and Paul is showing us today, that there's a spiritual purpose in marriage. And so as I look at this and as I dissected that this week, what I'm seeing is that Paul called men to lead the way in marriage in two ways. The first way, he called the man to lead the way spiritually. To lead the way spiritually. I want to talk just to guys for a second. Women, like, don't elbow your wife or your husband, please. I know you want to. Just don't. We're working on this together. We're going to work through this together a little bit, okay? The same goes for men later. So when God made Eve... Adam already had a relationship with God. He was tasked with discipling and leading his wife to the same relationship. I want to be clear this morning. I want to be clear as possible. Men in the room, men in the room. If you're married, if you're not married, you're going to get married, listen to this. You are called to be the spiritual leaders in your home. Okay, one more time. You are called to be the spiritual leaders in your home. Unfortunately, that's not as true as it should be in the church today, right? Did, did you see the phrase in Ephesians 5, washing her with, wor- with water by the word? And before you say, hey, Michael, what about, you? listen, I'm preaching to myself, before my wife says all these amens later, I'm preaching to myself, okay? I'm preaching to myself as well. We are meant to be spiritual leaders in our home. And what that means is, that means you lead in the application of scripture to your family. Right, You lead the way in the application of Scripture to your family. Is this overwhelming, guys? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It should. And that's good. It's good that it's overwhelming because what does it do? It pushes you to Jesus. Jesus, I don't know how to do this. I need some help. She's way smarter than me. I don't know how to lead her. Right? It's important to understand. Listen, if you're like me, like I just said, you get this image of trying to lead your wife in a Bible study, and you're like, well, she's smarter than me, and I know that, and she knows that, and God knows that. I don't know what to do, but it's so much more than that. It's not about that, man. It's praying for her. It's praying with her, encouraging her with the word, calling out the qualities of Christ that you see in her. What would that marriage be like? be awesome. Here's some homework for you guys. Like tonight, men, we're talking to men still. Guys, when you get home tonight or this afternoon or whatever, before you get to bed tonight, say, hey, beautiful, listen, how can I pray for you? She'd be like, what? Like, so then grab her hands and just say, dear God, and just begin to thank God for her. Thank God for her patience with you. Thank God for her blindness because you know you married up. Like, th- Pray for all these things that, that God has done for you in, in your life. And I want to tell you this morning, is, you know, as you do this, I want to give you a hint. She's going to be so attracted to you because you're doing the thing that you were called to do, leading the family. Right? How many women would agree with that? Anybody? Two or three, okay. Well, two or three of y'all women, make sure y'all let me know if y'all's husbands do that. Okay, cool. Other women, you're just too shy to raise your hand. I know you. You know, you know it's true. So make it normal to read the word together. Who thinks? Who knows? This is this is awkward a lot, right? It's just like the dating relationship. I tell people that I um, I give marriage counsel to all the time. We have these conversations. Even people that come back after marriage, they have struggles with with intimacy sometimes. Who knows that when you're dating, the enemy is trying to get you into the bedroom, right? And when you get married, he's trying to get you out of the bedroom, right? He's trying to get you away from the Bible. He's trying to get you away from praying together. He's trying to get you away from anything that's going to cause you to have intimacy, because he knows together that spiritual, mental, emotional intimacy that you have under Christ is going to make you a power couple for the kingdom. And so you're in, the, you're in a battle. And so at, that's what I want you to It's supposed to be hard. Washing her with the word men means that you are the primary mouthpiece declaring to her God's feelings about her. She's valued. She's cherished and precious in God's sight with a bright future because God has a plan for her. Husband, what if, let me ask you this little litmus test for you. Husbands, husbands, husbands. Wives, don't use this against them, okay? Your time's coming. Um, what if your wife's identity was built solely on your prayers, compliments, and encouragements to her? Just on that. How balanced would her emotional life be? As I typed this out this week, I literally stopped what I was doing I sent my wife in Texas and said, I'm sorry for being a bad spiritual leader in her home ask her. I did. That that, that moment, I was like, man, that's hard. And let me tell you something else, man. Like you can't lead your wife if you can't lead yourself in this. A lot of guys like, you know, you're just kind of winging it when it comes to your faith, but God has called you to be a strong man of God to lead the way in the church and in your home. So lead the way spiritually. The second thing is to lead the way in sacrifice. Guys, if husbands make Christ's love for the church, the pattern for loving his family and his wife, then he'll love his wife sacrificially. Listen, Christ gave himself for the church, so the husband gives himself for the wife, right? In Ephesians 5.31, we just read, Paul references God's instruction to the man to to leave his previous life and cleave to his wife. And Paul compares this relationship to Jesus' relationship with us. Jesus left his throne in heaven and laid down his life. Men, you are called to that type of sacrifice. You're, t- you're called to that type of sacrifice. But let me tell you, laying down your life doesn't simply mean dying. You're being willing, I would die for my wife. It's a very noble thing to say, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm a man, i die, i step in front of a bullet for my wife. That's very noble, guys, but it means putting her needs above yours also. How about that? <laughs> How about doing something for her that you don't want to do? Using your power like Jesus used his power to serve instead of to wield it as a, as a, as a weapon in your marriage, right? C.S. Lewis once said, in the, it says in the marriage relationship, men wear a crown, but the crown you wear is first and foremost one of thorns. That's hardcore, man, but it's true. Before we move on, I want to point out that, that humanity's fall happened in Genesis 3 because of Adam's failure to lead. Don't let any guy say, well, Eve committed the first sin. You know, we're gonna keep cursed us all. Don't let anybody say that. Right? But let any man say that to anybody. You know, Genesis 3, Adam was with the woman, which means he failed to lead and protect his wife in that moment where the enemy was tempting her. The first sin was a failure of the man to step into his proper role. In Genesis 3.9, it says, So the Lord, what did he do? Called out to who? To the man. And said to him, where are you? Then he called out to Eve. Hey, Eve, why Eve, why'd you pick your fruit? And he called out to the man. And said, hey, where are you at? Guys, humanity failed because men didn't lead like Christ. And I believe that when men in the church reassume their leadership role and reject passivity, our families and our churches will be transformed. Listen. Studies show that if a child is first to be saved in the home, there's a 3.5% chance that everybody else in the household will follow. That same study um, shows that if the mother is the first one to be saved in the home, there's a 17% chance that the whole family will be saved. There's that same study shows that if the father is the first to be saved and leads the family into the church and into discipleship, there's a 93% chance that the rest of the home will follow in his footsteps. It's not about chauvinism. It's not about any of those things. What it's about is about the way God has ordered the structure of the home. If we order our homes like God has told us to order our homes, you'll see a revival in your home that will bleed over into the church, Right? Guys, men, your, your families will be most impacted when you're the one leading. And as it stands right now, a lot of men are on autopilot. Maybe some of you in here today are just on autopilot, going through the motions, work, come home, eat, go to sleep, work, go home, just going through the motions of your day. And they come home and they let their wives lead. And let me tell you, I'm not saying that there's no women that can lead because there's a lot of women in this room that are way better leaders than I am. That has nothing to do with it. It has to do with God's order for the church and for the home. Listen, there's a lot of great men in this church, but we need more to step up. And some of you guys are like, well, what do I do, Michael? Well, here are four ways. I'm a pastor. I got steps, right? Four ways. The first one, reject passivity. Man, you struggle with passivity because you live in the culture we live in. We're passive. We're passive. Reject passivity. The question is, are you growing in your relationship with Jesus? Man, how long have you been in the exact same spot that you are right now as a believer in Christ? The second thing, accept responsibility. How are you accepting responsibility for what God has entrusted you with? How are you accepting that responsibility? The third thing, lead courageously. Like, lead. The question is this like, there are people following you in your life. You have children, you have your wife, you have people at work, in the church, wherever you're at. Where are you leading the people that are following you? To a good place or to a place of destruction? The fourth and final thing is invest eternally. Am am I investing my time in things that really matter or am I wasting my time? We all struggle with wasting time, right? Yeah. Let's be focused on not wasting time. Let's focus on being men that God has called us to be. Now, to the wife, okay? Here we go. Paul says, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And So women in the room, if you hear the word submit, And you hear obey or less than or subordinate You may still be looking through western lenses instead of kingdom lenses Because not what the scripture means when it says this So what does it mean well before I tell you what it does mean I want to first say what it doesn't mean okay This doesn't mean that the wife exists as a servant to cater to a husband's every whim It doesn't mean that because just as we saw, the husband is, is told to first do what? Lay down his life for her, right? That's not what that means. It also doesn't mean that wives, that you allow yourself to be put in a situation where you could be harmed. That's not what it means. When, when the Bible says submit to him as to the Lord, that doesn't mean in the place of the Lord. You hear that? It means as a way to serve the Lord. You hear that? Super quiet here. We need a conversation. Super quiet. It makes me feel a little awkward. You know, it doesn't mean in place of God. It means as a way to serve God, which means if your husband asks you to do something that would make you disobey God or his, his leadership puts you or your family in physical danger, you need to seek help. Okay? Your pastor is just giving you that permission. You need to seek help if that's where you're at. Husbands, let me tell you. Let me, let me point out this also for the husbands. Like, husbands, this verse is not a tool to manipulate your wife. Okay? Notice this verse is addressed specifically to women, right? It's it's her verse. It's not your verse, okay? Don't hijack a verse that was meant for her to manipulate her. Sadly, this has happened in in the world, even in the church. This means, that means, men, you shouldn't quote it at your wife. uh, Wives, if a a husband ever quotes this at you, uh, you know, taking back to Ephesians 5 and laying down down your life just as Christ, okay, Just give me my phone number. So so what does it mean? What does it mean? It means means that you allow the husband space to steer the family. Listen, spiritual leadership means that he has the burden of responsibility. Listen, I, I tell men in pretty much every premarital counseling session that I do that if God were to come to your house knocking on your door, he's going to ask for you and not your wife. You have the responsibility of your home. Who did God come looking for in the garden? Adam, Tony Evans, great pastor, great theologian. Spiritual headship is God telling the woman to duck so we can punch the man. <laughs> Love that quote. It's so true. Like it's so true. Spiritual headship is God telling the woman to duck so we can punch. God can punch the man. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Listen, spiritual headship is not a license to do what you want. It's a freedom to do what you're created to do. But wives, let me tell you, that means you don't only follow him when you agree with him or, or feel like he's making the right decision either. That's not submission. That's agreement. You know, uh, and, and the argument I hear a lot of times from wives is, well, my husband's just not a spiritual leader. He's lazy and passive and all these things. Guys, this verse doesn't say submit to your husband when he's the kind of spiritual leader you think he should be. If your husband's not a spiritual leader, let me tell you, your obedience to this verse can help call him up into this kind of leadership, right? Well, let me explain something about men uh, in this room for the women that don't know, because your husband probably told you this, but you just don't hear it from him, right? You got to hear it from somebody else, right? I mean, we 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 know we know we know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, every guy in this room from the day he was born has always been asking the question: Am I good enough? And do I measure up? Do I have what it takes? Every guy in this room, they may not admit it, but every guy, do am I good enough? And do I have what it takes? And so some of us got that affirmation from our father, and, and we became healthy spiritual leaders. And you know, and a lot of men didn't, and they doubt themselves and they're paralyzed. They need healthy community, they need other men that come around them, they need healing. They need the Lord to step into those spaces and heal them. But you as a wife can call it out of him by the way you love, encourage, and affirm him. Listen, your submission creates a vacuum that serves as this invitation. Lead. Lead this family. Lead. And when he leads well, encourage him, affirm him, and then watch him come alive. It's that mutual submission to one another that we talked about in Ephesians 5. Submit to one another as is pleasing to the Lord. Right? We can't and as we look at this, we can't reject God's standards for Christian marriage because we've seen it warped or perverted. Like a husband sacrificially loving his wife and a wife submitted to her a godly husband creates this relationship that the world sees and that sees Jesus. And nobody in, that, nobody in that spectrum would look at that and be like, how disgusting and archaic. No, it's attractive. You, how many of y'all know about relationships like this? And you're like, I want a marriage like them. I know people in my life like that. But remember, guys, marriage is not first and foremost about making you happy. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a perfect, it's about making you holy and teaching you to display, teaching you to love like Christ. Because it's literally the gospel on display for the world to see, as we've already said. And this is what I know, is that marriages don't fall apart because people fall out of love. Marriages fall apart because people fall out of fellowship with Jesus. Right? The second thing, the family relationship, the, 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 let's look at verse 20 and 21. It says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. And so there's two elements to the family, marriage and parenting. And these, these reveal God's character like nothing else In creation, the husband and the wife displays Christ's devotion to his bride. And in the same way, the chaos, yeah, chaos of parenthood, who knows about the chaos of parenthood, right? It's chaotic, Listen to all these people say amen. That's what I'm talking about. Hallelujah, right? It offers this beautiful picture of God's patience towards his children. Every time I get frustrated with my children, I'm like, God, thank you for being patient with me and not wiping me off the face of the earth like I want to do with my kids right now, Right? I've, I've, Right? I, you, you get that feeling of like, thank you, Jesus, for loving me in, in the middle of my stupidity. Right? We can all agree with that. If you look back over the Ephesians over in chapter 6, we're not going to read it, but Paul gives a, uh, a, a definition or a, a, an instruction to the children to obey their parents. He brings up the, the fifth commandment. It's in the fifth commandment, this fifth commandment, out of the ten commandments, which means this fifth commandment is right in the middle of the ten. The first four commandments are about our relationship with God, and the last five are about our relationship to others. And this is right in the middle of God's commands to his people, and it hinges the two. So when you're young, as a, as a, as a young person in a home, I'm talking to the middle schoolers right now. So if you're on your phone, just kind of chill out and let's, let's talk for a second, right? I'm talking to you, high schoolers, all of us in the room. If you're a child, if you have a mom or a dad that are sitting in here, or they may be at home. Like this is for you, because when you're young, like you are right now, our parents represent the authority of God to us. You're like, hold on a minute. Wait, wait I, I don't, I don't consent to any of this. Right? No. We learn to first obey our parents and submit to God by obeying and submitting to our parents. We learn to obey and submit to God by learning to submit and obey to our parents that authority figure in our lives. That means for those of you living at home, how you submit to the authority of your parents is how you'll learn to submit to God. Everybody hear that? Let that sit for a little while, right? Some of our parents are like, listen to that, right? But it's true. It's so true. Verse 21, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Notice that the parenting instructions are almost always given to fathers. But who does the brunt of the parenting usually go to in the American home? Wife. Men, lead your family, your children. Be the first to discipline, the first to guide, the first to go after their hearts. This means that the primary focus of parenting in verse chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 4 says, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. This was talking to the husband in this moment. This means that what your primary focus is, is their heart towards God, not their behavior. Right And kingdom focused We're talking about kingdom culture Kingdom focused discipline Is less concerned with controlling The behavior of a child And more concerned about shaping their heart Do you see that? That's what we have to see I wish, uh, I wish my dad was here To see the, hear this yeah, sermon But uh, that's not how I was raised per se Listen, I was raised in a, in a home Where it was about behavior modification And the heart would come later that's not how I want to raise my kids. Dad, if you watch this, I love you. Did a great job. Um, But when you understand this, it'll change your approach to discipline altogether. Because when you're exasperating your children, as Paul taught about in Colossians here, it's because you've shifted to behavior controlling, which means, which is more about your convenience than their spiritual development. Who's ever disciplined their child because they were inconveniencing to you at the moment? I'm trying to watch this game. I'm trying to clean the house. I'm trying to do these things. Go to your room, or here's the spanking, or whatever you do, however you discipline your child. We, we discipline out of inconvenience and not going after their heart. Psalms 127, 3 to 5. It says, children are an heritage from the Lord. offspring, spring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. We're called to discipline our children like they are arrows to be shot out into the world to take ground for the kingdom wherever they set their feet. Because kingdom parenting, guys, produces children who prioritize disciple making over worldly success. Right. And so as you as we get ready to close, uh, the band can come back. We're gonna we're gonna see one more song before we leave. But I want to show you this morning that our relationship carries. Our relationships carry the clearest picture of the gospel. And Paul is trying to get us to see that in our relationships we're, we're actually reflecting Christ. We're actually reflecting Jesus. So I've heard it said that you can measure the progress of your faith by how well you relate to your spouse and to your children and to your work, Right? I, can, I see it, and I've heard it said that in the truest measure of your Christianity is who you are at home. I don't care what you do at church. I don't care what you do at connect group. What, what would your family say about your spiritual health at home? How are you leading well? Are you leading in grace? Are you leading your home well? Or what does that look like? Because let me tell you, like, let's stop with this question, and let me ask you this. Is If you based your spiritual condition solely on how well you lived it out at home, how do you think you're doing? How well do you think you're doing? Because a kingdom worldview in our relationships provides opportunity for kingdom influence like few other things can. It allows us to expand God's kingdom through practical, everyday things. And so Paul, what he does is he shows us that the trends in our earthly relationships will reflect the quality of our relationship to Jesus. Because this is what I know, a disruption here between me and the Lord leads to chaos here in my relationship with my wife and my children. A disruption here, chaos here. So where are you at today? Guys, many of us are struggling to, to be godly husbands or to be godly wives or to be godly parents or godly children or godly employees or employers because there's something off with our relationship with God. And that makes us dissatisfied, selfish in our earthly relationships, trying to squeeze out of these horizontal relationships what we should be getting from this vertical relationship with God. And when I do that, I hurt people. Right? So maybe you need to turn your attention first back to God. Here's some good news. Here's some really good news. When you get this right with God, He'll take over in these relationships. And so I don't know where you're at today. I'm not sure if you're a husband that has been leading passively. I'm not sure if you're a wife who's been in the same boat, not not following a godly view of marriage or not following a godly view of parenting. But my heart today is that you would come before Jesus this morning, come before the Lord and just repent if that's been you. Let this altar be a place of of worship. Let it be a place of celebration, not of, not of shame. So this morning, I don't know if you've Maybe, maybe you've been in this place for a few months or a few weeks, or maybe this is your first week here. My question for you is you know, maybe you listen to this message and you're like, I don't agree with any of this. Well, maybe your first step is to have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Maybe you've been serving religion and not God. Because the Bible talks about that God came, sent Jesus on this earth. He said, God made him who knew no sin to be sin. On our behalf. And the second part of that is so that we could become the righteousness of God. What an incredible exchange. And so this morning, if you've been doing it on your own, if you've been trying to work it out with God by the things you do on a checklist, I don't care if you're a leader of this church. I'm going to give you an opportunity to repent and come to Christ. There's going to be some people on the sides that are going to be willing to pray with you that we would love to pray with you. If that's you this morning, hey, hey Michael, I need salvation because without Christ. I will spend eternity without him. So that's you this morning. I just pray that you would be bold and step out your seats as we sing this last song. Go to one of our prayer partners and just say, I need Jesus. This morning I need Jesus hearts. Just say, hey, I have some questions. Or if you need prayer for one of these relationships that we talked about, maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe your husband's not leading. Maybe your wife's the same. Maybe you need to figure that out. These prayer partners, this altar is a great place to work that out with God. So don't leave here the same way you came. Don't leave here with the baggage that you walked in with. So I want to pray, and as I pray, you come. So Father, we love you. We worship you. We adore you, God, because you're good. Lord, you love us. You didn't leave us alone. You didn't leave us as orphans. Father, I pray this morning, God, as we um, discussed uh, our marriages and our, our parent and parental relationships, God, that you would begin to use this church to exemplify Lord, the the, the gospel to the people in our lives. Father, I pray for the marriage in this room that's broken. God, I pray for the husband or the wife that is not living a Christian lifestyle in a Christian home. I pray, God, that you would convict them, Father, bring them to their knees in repentance, God, and to a place of joy, God, because we know there's joy in repentance, Father. Repentance is not an ugly word because it's a word of freedom. It's a word of reconciliation and restoration. God, and that's what I pray for this morning is restoration and reconciliation in families. God, may you be glorified through these relationships. May you be glorified in all we say and all we do, Father, in Jesus' name.